0: Mm -hmm. So welcome back, everyone. And if you uh, can, it's nice to see people's images. If you are okay putting your video on, I like to uh, see people as I uh, speak and interact. Uh, If there is a bandwidth issue, of course, uh, you can keep your video off. So I want today to continue to explore the theme that I started on January 6th on practicing with intentions. And when I set the uh, schedule last year for the dates that I'd be teaching in January, uh, I knew the dates January 6th and January 20th had some significance. And I was also aware that it could be a little bit unusual. Um, We met last time that I was here on January 6th, and we actually didn't know what was happening. But of course, halfway through our session, was what has variously been called a, a riot, a coup attempt, an insurrection that most of us found out about immediately after we finished here. How many, For how many people was that the case? You soon found out, yeah, soon found out about what was going on. And of course, it's uh, uh, shaken many of us. You know, I was actually very... Uh, Powerful and healing for I and several of my colleagues to teach a retreat on metapractice starting four days after that and we went on for six days and we we you know we brought the awareness of the events as well as you know the background of other crises into our into our retreat and I think it was very powerful and healing and transformative and our our practice has that potential. And so, um, what I want to do this time is actually uh, review briefly where we were with intentions last time and then continue to look at the importance of uh, practicing with intentions Last time we looked at it, especially in the context of individual formal practice and what we might call uh, individual daily life. And today I want to extend that and bring the practice of intentions also in tar- to our larger relationship, to our communities, to our society, and to our world. So look at that notion really, of connecting our inner practices with our response more on a community level, a social level, a collective level. That's what I want to explore. So first, a little bit of review. Uh, Last time, and the recording of last time is on the website Dharma Seed under my name. Last time, we looked um, fairly extensively at the understanding of intentions, both in terms of uh, the teachings of the Buddha and in terms of how we might practice today in our daily lives, in our formal practice. And we particularly focused on two aspects of intention, what I called uh, first the connecting with deeper intentions, what we could call aspiration. And secondly, the work with intentions moment to moment in our lives. And ultimately, we want to uh, connect those two, connect the touching into deeper motivation, deeper intentions, and connect that with what can occur uh, moment to moment. So we saw how central intention is in our practice. Intention really can, is our guide. It's something we continually come back to. It really is our way of awakening. It's our way of having our lives be transformative. I think one, um, this is a paraphrase from something I remember from the Tibetan tradition where it says that all practice rides on intention. All of our practice rides on intention. And we want with our folk, with our, with the first kind of um, intention, which I, I would call aspiration or deeper motivation, we want to be able to connect with this. And I mentioned that there are several Terms and understandings in Buddhist tradition. One is chanda, which is some could be called wholesome or skillful desire. And I mentioned last time of how, sort of in translation, uh, desire kind of gets a bad rap. That there are a lot of things that we do which we could call desire. I desire to awaken, I desire to be a good person. And some of it's in the language. But there's a very crucial role for skillful intentions that are about something that we want. I want justice, I want reconciliation, I want connection, I want uh, awareness. Uh, These are distinguished from what is problematic, which is a kind of wanting, which is more compulsive, more connected with our unconscious habits. That's the kind of wanting which is problematic, which is to be seen through and transformed. But there's also a kind of wanting which is very skillful, and we don't get very far without it. So that's connected to this first kind of intention. And there are different ways to connect with that quality of aspiration. You know, many of us might begin our sittings by... Remembering our deeper intentions, why we practice. You know, I often guide us in that way at beginning of, beginnings of sessions on Wednesdays. Didn't do it today. A uh, little distracted by the inauguration, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but I uh, but, uh, typically do that. And so we can, we can come back to our deeper intentions. And as I often say, connecting with our deeper intentions doesn't guarantee that the next moment will be following those deeper intentions but it helps right and so that's a crucial point because i can say oh may i be at this meeting and come from a kind heart and then five seconds later i'm being snippy or you know or uh, unfriendly right so that happens but the the intention really really helps and it's it's a way of coming back and we can connect with those deeper intentions in various ways. We can can do it before a particular uh, activity, a meeting, uh, a a challenging conversation perhaps, uh, time with family, time with friends, whatever. And we can can do it in uh, multiple times during the day. You know, I mentioned last time that I have what I call a kind of a vow, which I do four times a day, which connects me with my deeper intentions. I also mentioned that it's particularly useful for me to go there if I get uh, caught in something, you know, or if I wake up very, very distressed, which, which occasionally happens like in the middle of the night, you know, and I get a little bit lost in worry or anxiety, then connecting with my four times a day vow First of all, it takes some concentration to repeat it. It takes about two or three minutes. And then it, it both settles the mind and it almost invariably uh, shifts consciousness. So we can use we can use it in that way, can really help. Uh, another tool that's very useful is simply to pause. Pause, and often if we're a little bit caught or disturbed, simply pausing will help us to come back to what our deeper intention is. You know, other ways of coming back to the deeper intention would be to do retreats, would be to sometimes do a Sabbath day where you do a little more practice. Where then that can often help. Uh, setting priorities. One interesting practice that really is about setting priorities is that I like is always knowing when your next retreat is, if you do retreats. Simply knowing that, it's it's like a setting of priorities, and it's a way of uh, really acting out of your deeper intentions. And then secondly, there's also, in a related way, having the moment-to-moment intentions. And this is where we try to develop skillful patterns or skillful habits. I mentioned last time how the Buddha explains the core of the meaning of karma in terms of intention, in terms of moment to moment intention. Essentially, he said that every moment, their intentions uh, that are determining how we act, a lot of those are unconscious or semi-conscious or automatic. And I think I'm gonna come back maybe in March and give a whole focus on how we can notice these unconscious intentions, these, you know, these habits. There are a lot of them that function beneath the level of consciousness. And some of them are quite hard to find. I mean, we've explored some of them, and I, uh, you know, often in in our Wednesdays. But I think I'll come back to that. So, but moment to moment we can notice, we can kind of tune in and notice our intentions. Maybe uh, over time, we want to get beneath beneath the level, or how should I say, we want to get beneath things to see what's more unconscious or automatic. And there's often a lot that is that way. You know, when you find yourself acting, maybe out of wanting to create a certain self-image or impress someone. Some of that is at an automatic level. And so a lot of other things we can point to. So moment to moment, it's really important to tune in. What is my intention that's guiding me now? And we can sometimes, again, pausing is really, really helpful. What's my intention in this conversation? What's going on? Is it skillful or unskillful? Uh, you know, we can uh you know this is a way that we connect our deeper aspiration to moment-to-moment experience. That's what we're looking for. You know, we want to uh and so coming back to the intention to be present, where I think of Julia Butterfly Hill has that intention, may every action come out of love. You know, and, and there are many, many ways that we can we can see that. And so we can just ask ourselves, what's, you know, these are some ways to manifest the moment moment intention. Just ask, what's wise in this moment? Keep coming back to that. Uh, have a clear intention. Uh, bring back one's larger or deeper intention or vow. Sometimes another very skillful intention is to say, this is happening in my mind and heart and body right now. What's, what's a skillful practice? Should I do mindfulness? Am I feeling a little bit down and distressed? Maybe compassion practice, maybe a heart practice is more valuable. So that, that uh, question, what's a skillful practice right now? Mindfulness is not always the best thing to do. Sometimes loving kindness or compassion is valuable. Sometimes it's valuable to actually, when things are too difficult, they're not workable, somehow to do that, whatever brings us back to balance. So another skillful question to ask in terms of intention is, what's the level of difficulty right now? Okay. So that's a kind of review. And this is really, these practices with intention in terms of aspiration, deeper motivation on the one hand, and and making it work moment to moment, are really what take us through the day. And so really can be very crucial to continue. So I want to also link now that emphasis on intention to our intention, we might say, for being in a community, for being in society, for being in the world. What are our skillful intentions in this way? And again, we do so knowing very well, you know, the multiple crises of our time. You know, and I, it's actually, I found it, I watched the inauguration this morning, morning in, in the, uh, where I am, at least, and it was, I was appreciative that the president-elect President Biden mentioned the major crises, all of them, you know, and said, I think, you know, one of them would be plenty, and we have, you know, five or six, you know, we have the pandemic and the economic crisis, we have the... uh You know, still, I think, crisis of democracy. This is in the U.S. We have, you know, the wanting to reverse uh, what's sometimes called systemic racism or the, you know, the residues, uh, unresolved, untransformed residues of the last 400 years. Uh, And we have, of course, the climate emergency. And so, um, you know, a starting point for really bringing our intentions to these crises is seeing that there's a relationship between the inner states of people and the crises. Or another way of saying it, between our inner states and what's happening more outwardly. You know, uh, I like to quote uh, Shanti Deva, who wrote uh, Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life in the 8th century. He said, This world is disturbed with insanity due to the exertions of those who are confused about themselves. Can you see that in the world? People who are confused about themselves, and I would say about reality, creating a lot of, a lot of problems. And another way that we can sometimes talk about it is saying that the world is consumed with greed, hatred, and delusion. The core of our practice is transforming greed, hatred, and delusion. Can we see the greed? Not very hard to see these days, the greed for power, the greed for wealth. We can see the various forms of hatred in sort of the divide and conquer manipulation of racism or different kinds of uh, scapegoating, different ways of creating others, you know, who do not really belong. We can see that level of hatred, often uh, deeply, deeply manipulated. You know, it's like, I think there is a song, people have to learn to hate. Children do not grow up that way, right? They have to be learned, and I I think in many, if not most cases, manipulated by those in power to, to have this internal tendency towards hatred. And then, of course, Uh, delusion. We see delusion very widespread. So our inner practices are crucial because we're working on transforming that which leads outwardly to these problems, these issues, these crises. And they can sometimes feel uh, overwhelming. I think that another one of the connections between inner and outer is that our inner practices are deeply, deeply valuable for helping us be responsive to the outer problems. You Know that the resources of mindfulness, of compassion, of equanimity, of balance, of knowing how to be skillful with difficult emotions, difficult states, difficult uh, narratives, difficult thoughts, these are invaluable for anyone wanting to respond to the needs of the world. And I think they actually are defining, we might say, what I think is a whole new emerging uh, toolkit for those who are active in the world. Sometimes we call them activists or just people who are, who are participating. Who are participating. And yet it's very challenging. There's, there's some amazing questions that were asked in the 1950s by the great uh, African-American writer, sociologist, uh, activist, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, who was a co-founder in 1909 of the NAACP. And when he was in his 80s, actually in his late 80s, he wanted to make connections with some of the younger generation. And he connected with a lot of people at that time. This was the 1950s. And he wrote... Starting, I think, at the age of 87, he wrote three novels. Can you imagine that? Age of 87, he wrote three novels, and one of of the novels, the first volume, was particularly centered on what he said that for many, many years, I've been wrestling with four questions. He said every generation has to come to grips with these questions, and I think these are both challenges, but they also show how valuable this connection of inner and outer is. He said the four questions are, how does integrity face oppression? Number one, Can just ask how you would uh, work with these. Number two, what does honesty do in the face of deception? Number three, what does decency do in the face of insult? And number four, how does virtue meet brute force? Powerful challenges. And so, again, they can bring up sometimes, uh, gosh, this is a lot, and it is a lot. But we have these incredible resources, inner resources, and we also have the power of community and connection. And it's clear that what the world is calling for right now is for many, many of us to respond using our own gifts. And very important is that the uh, need is not for all of us to do the same thing or be on the front lines. One uh, really uh, guide that's been really important for me uh, are is the understanding that I got from Joanna Macy, one of our great beings who's still going strong at the age of ninety one still teaching at the age of ninety one and she says that the transformation to a sustainable, just world has to occur in three areas. And as I say these, listen for the one that you're most drawn to. Because I think each of us has gifts valuable for for one of these. The first is holding actions to prevent further damage. That would be the area that we usually would call activism. Or it it could be being active in your community on a more national or global level, but it's somehow preventing further bad things from happening or stopping bad things. Secondly, we want to understand and transform our core institutions. So this would be people maybe who are trying to develop new modes of agriculture or education or parenting or economics or um, community development or whatever, um, as well as some of the larger institutions. And so many of us might be drawn there to develop new forms of training. And thirdly, transforming consciousness. And so this could be people who do yoga, who teach yoga, and who teach people different relationships to their body. Could be people who teach meditation. What I find the key is, see where you're called, especially in terms of those three areas, and then keep making the connection between those three areas. That's really crucial. When I've worked with this model with uh, people who are interested, who come to retreats, for example, on socially engaged practice, people have tremendous relief. What it means is you don't have to do everything, and you don't even have to be on the front lines. Just find where you're called. Find what calls you. Very, very crucial. And so I want to say a little bit more about this with two reference points, and then we'll do some writing together. I forgot to tell you, um, if you can, please have uh, a piece of paper and a writing implement. Uh, We'll use it in about 15 minutes. And so if you need to just walk away for a few moments, it could be something electronic, but just a piece of paper and a writing implement of some kind. You know, I'll ask everyone to have that. Sorry, I didn't ask that, that earlier. So I'm going to work with uh, two reference points and then we'll do uh, a short writing exercise, very much like we did what, like we did uh, two weeks ago. And the two reference points are the Buddhist figure of the Bodhisattva and then some on the life and work of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whose uh, birthday was celebrated just two days ago. And I have an image of him some of you can see behind me. So those are my two reference points for helping us to, uh, in this session, respond more skillfully to the needs of our time and find what, what calls us. So first, the Bodhisattva. The Bodhisattva is a figure in the Buddhist tradition that, I should say maybe who brings together awakening with helping others. And very, very inspiring being many people's practice, you know, both in um, traditionally in Asia and also I think for many people in the West, many people find tremendous inspiration from relating to these bodhisattvas. These are almost like archetypal beings who bring together helping others with individual awakening, I, w- I would say bring together the in- the inside and the outside, and let me introduce three. And Brian, let's let's introduce first uh, Kuan Yin. Many of you know Kuan Yin is one of the bodhisattvas. Let's bring the image of Kuan Yin. This is uh, Kuan Yin that some of you know. I think this is from the uh, Atkins Museum in uh, Kansas City. Huan Yin is the Bodhisattva of compassion, and is actually a transgender Bodhisattva, is male in India and female in China, and has the quality of uh, deep compassion. Uh, her name means she who hears the cries of the world, and this may inspire us. You know, I actually, four times a day in my vow, as part of it, I invoke. Kuan Yin and bring the energy of Kuan Yin into my being. It's one of the ways we can, can work with uh, a Bodhisattva. Another Bodhisattva, let's do Manjushri, is the Bodhisattva of Wisdom. This is a Tibetan image of, of uh, Manjushri. And the sword is called the Sword of Discriminating Wisdom that cuts through delusion. And this may be inspiring to you. I have an image of uh, Manjushri right near uh, my desk where I work on Dharma talks. So hopefully Manjushri is with me in this talk. You know, and then thirdly, this is uh, Samanta Bhadra, also known in uh, um, the Bone Tibetan tradition as Kuntazampo. And this is the deep uh, embodiment of uh, primordial awakening and is more a guide for deep meditation practice. So these are some of the uh, uh, bodhisattvas who mean the most to me personally, and there there are quite a number of other ones. And so the bodhisattva uh, can be an inspiration for one's practice. And in fact, traditionally, there can be a vow that we take to be a bodhisattva to bring together this inner awakening and outer helping of others. And there are many uh, texts, which some of you know, which which embody this vow. The bodhisattva makes a vow, and this may be something we want to do, makes a vow to have one's life guided by both inner awakening and helping others. Uh, This is from the uh, Theravada tradition uh, from the 5th century. Crossed, I would cross others. Freed, I would free others. Tamed, I would tame others. Calmed, I would calm others. Comforted, I would comfort others. Attained to Nibbana, I would lead others to Nibbana. Purified, I would purify others. Enlightened, I would enlighten others. Oh, may I awaken to supreme perfect enlightenment and bring well-being and happiness to all beings. This could be a vow which uh, one says every day or can make it in, into your own version. This can be very, very helpful. Some of you may have practiced in uh, the Zen tradition. This is a well-known uh, vow from the Zen tradition, which uh, you, may, you may know from uh, practicing Zen. Living beings are infinite. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to cut through them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. The Buddha way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. And just a few passages also giving this sense almost like of a vow. This is from uh, that text I mentioned earlier, Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life from the 8th century, which is a beautiful text. You can you can buy it. There's some very good translations. You can get it, probably get it online. This is from the actual text, a few of the lines. May I be a guard for those who are protectorless, a guide for those who journey on the road, for those who wish to go across the water, may I be a boat, a raft, a bridge. May I be an aisle for those who yearn for landfall, a lamp for those who long for light, for those who need a resting place, a bed. For all those who need someone to help, may I be there to help. Like the great earth and the other elements, enduring as the sky itself endures, for the t- boundless multitude of living beings, may I be the ground and vessel of their life. And it goes on like that. So the Bodhisattva has this ability to touch inner freedom and also to help others. That's can be our aspiration. And so I wanted to then go right now to the figure of Dr. King. And I think Dr. King is, I would say, the example of a 20th century bodhisattva. And I think it's really, really crucial to have in mind beings like that who seem to combine, you know, in, even being imperfect, combined the, this, these deep qualities. For Dr. King, it was the quality of love and compassion, empathy, kindness, with this uh, ability to act. And, you know, I've been inspired by, personally by Dr. King for a long time, probably from the the 1960s when I was was young. I think I've mentioned sometimes that my parents were near the front of the line in the 1963 march, uh, on Washington, the, where he gave the, I have a dream speech. I think they were, I heard they were, they were 10 feet away, you know, and I was young. I, they asked me if I wanted to go and I said, I think I'd rather play. So missed my opportunity, but oh well, uh, still it's been, it's been, uh, someone I've uh, deeply learned from, and they're very beautiful, deep connections, I think, between uh, Buddhist practice and the work of Dr. King that's been really important for me for a long time, that there there is a way that uh, really uh, metta, kindness, love are at the center, right? Imagine social action guided by love. That's the... Explicit intention, and this is why nonviolence is so important. I think I believe that nonviolence is going to make a comeback because it's so powerful and very, very central to Buddhist practice, both in terms of ethics, but also in terms of the understanding that I think the understanding that harm comes out of greed, hate, hatred, and delusion that violence comes out of violence and that the imperative is to stop the cycle of harm, stop the cycle of violence, stop the cycle in Buddhist language of reactivity. Of, and that's right at the center of our practice. It's really, we would say, um, uh, dukkha produces dukkha hurt people, hurt people. And what that means is that, uh, I don't know who said it, but uh, um, man is not the enemy, right? Human beings are not the enemy. So you can go back and, and hear from Dr. King. There's a tremendous empathy that he felt for, particularly for poor whites, you know, that he he went out of his way often to talk with them and he could see how they were so manipulated, you know, and that actually they were not better off. I think we could say the same is true for the people just recently who've been so manipulated. They are not better off. They are not better off, but they they maybe gain something from what uh, actually W.E.B. Du Bois called the wages of whiteness they actually don't have better wages, but they get some sort of pseudo wages where they think they're better, right? And anyway, Dr. King's approach was empathy and understanding. And so very, very powerful approach that I think we we find in multiple settings. You can see elements like this from Standing Rock. You know, we can find it in the, in some of the native, native elders. And very, very powerful. And so, I think I'll, I could say a lot more. And I've done, as some of you know, I've done three-day retreats uh, bringing together, uh, typically, I think I did it with uh, my colleague Kazu Haga. We did three-day retreats showing the connections between Buddhist practice and the life and work of Dr. King. But I think at this point, what I'd like to do is actually to um, just play um some, some from a recording of Dr. King from him reading his letter from a Birmingham jail, which I believe was 1963. So we'll do that right now.
1: here in the Birmingham city jail I, I across your recent statement oh, calling my present activities unwise and untimely is it coming okay, Brian? I feel that you are men uh, of genuine no, it's goodwill you need to click share screen and that oh your yeah. criticisms are sincerely set forth. all right that's good I we can start you it over to your statement and okay. what I hope will be patient and reasonable. find here in the Birmingham City Jail, I came across your recent statement calling my present activities unwise and untimely. Since I feel that you are men of genuine goodwill and that your criticisms are sincerely set forth, I want to try to answer your statement in what I hope will be patient and reasonable terms. You deplore the demonstrations taking place in Birmingham, but your statement, I'm sorry to say, fails to express a similar concern for the conditions that brought about the demonstrations. Birmingham is probably the most thoroughly segregated city in the United States. Its ugly record of brutality is widely known. There have been more unsolved bombings of Negro homes and churches in Birmingham than in any other city in the nation. These are the hard, brutal facts of the case. You may well ask, why direct action? Why sit-ins, marches, and so forth? Isn't negotiation a better path? Action seeks to create such a crisis and foster such a tension that a community which has constantly refused to negotiate is forced to confront the issue. You speak of our activity in Birmingham as extreme. Was not Jesus an extremist for love? Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice or for the extension of justice? When you have seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim? When you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and even kill your black brothers and sisters, when you see the vast majority of your 20 million Negro brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering, As you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she can't go to the public amusement park and see her developing an unconscious bitterness toward white people. When you have to concoct an answer for a five-year-old son who is asking, Daddy, why do white people treat colored people so mean? When you are humiliated day in and day out by nagging signs reading white and color, and your first name becomes nigger your middle name becomes boy however old you are and your last name becomes John and your wife and mother are never given the respected title missus and you are hired by day and haunted by night by the fact that you are negro living constantly at tiptoe stands never quite knowing what to expect next and are plagued with inner fears and outer resentments when you are forever fighting a degrading and degenerating sense of nobodiness
2: then you will understand why we find it
1: difficult to wait. You assert that our actions even though peaceful must be condemned because they precipitate violence isn't this like condemning jesus because his unique god consciousness and never ceasing devotion to god's will precipitated the evil act of crucifixion i have no despair about the future I have no fear about the outcome of our struggle in Birmingham, even if our motives are at present misunderstood. We will reach the goal of freedom in Birmingham and all over the nation because the goal of America is freedom. We will win our freedom because the sacred heritage of our nation and the eternal will of the almighty God are embodied and our echoing
0: demands. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. King. And bring out your paper now, or your writing, implement. Could be electronic again. I'd like to just take a little bit of time now see if you are called to have something like a vow, a set of intentions that you have in relationship to how you want to respond in the next period of time to the needs of the world. Last time we focused more on some of our own individual intentions. See what calls you in terms, and this is just for yourself, for right now. It could take the form of a vow, it could be one sentence, it could be a little bit longer. It could be, think of maybe the inspiration of the Bodhisattva, the inspiration from Dr. King. What calls you right now in terms of your own uh, personal intention to respond to the needs of our, you know, of your community, of our society, our world? And again, many of us are in different societies, actually, so whatever is appropriate. Just take now maybe three, four, five minutes just to have some free writing. See what calls you in terms of something like a set of intentions or a vow. So take about another minute or so. So you take about another minute or so. And now if, you're, if what you've written, some of you may have just been reflection, if it's in the form of a set of intentions or vows, look it over now and silently take the vow or take the intentions for yourself. Do that right now. See what you've written and silently take, take this as a vow or as a set of intentions. And now let us, if you wish, uh, bow to each other, bow to each other who have all, I think, uh, developed their own sense of a strong intention. Some of, how many people were surprised by what came through? Yeah. So we can bow to each other and appreciate each other. And may these vows um, keep guiding us. And I'd like to invite, um, would anyone be willing to share the vow? I'd love to hear from a few people. anyone be willing to share what you wrote? You can use either the raised hand function, or looks like uh, Victoria, I can see your hand up. Um... And you can, yeah, we let Victoria speak.
2: May I meet all beings with compassion and empathy. May I seek to heal the despair and desperation of all beings whom I encounter. May I always be ready to listen and slow to speak. May I always seek to understand the feelings and needs of others. May I be willing to serve others even at my own expense. May I always speak the truth and affirm the
0: truth. Thank you. Brian, do we have another person who'd like to share?
2: I don't see any hands raised and there's nothing in the chat.
0: Okay. Okay, I can see probably a lot of our people. If you want to, you can either use the um raise hand function or just raise your actual hand if you'd like to and you don't have to read the whole thing if you want to read part of it that's fine anyone else Okay, Okay. thank you, thank you, Ed.
2: Okay, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, My intentions, um, intention to speak the truth to people and about people. To let my yes be a yes and my no be a no. Engage in helping others uh, in need in ways that I can. Look at myself and look
0: wider, yeah. Thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, maybe uh, one or two other people. Anyone willing to? I know it's uh, um, can be very personal and um, intimate in a way. Anyone willing? You don't you can just share a part of it if you wish. Please, thank you. Lucy, please.
2: Um, I will act out of kindness and compassion to reduce harm in the world, to enhance the well-being of marginalized people and animals, to reduce the suffering of all beings.
0: Great. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. And maybe I could... um, ask you if you um if you're willing if you'd like to put uh um you know a line or two from what you wrote into the chat uh that could also work see if you're see if you you, and that could be that could be shared without you reading it maybe And Brian, could you, are there some coming through? Uh, not yet. Okay.
2: I can verbally share one.
0: Um, Great, thank you. Thanks, no Michael.
2: Um, so, I vow to support my local community and in any way I can, uh, both financially and through volunteering time, to aid in the relief of all those suffering currently in this pandemic, social unrest. And environmental uh, global threats, I will do my part in the form of nonviolent participation for my community.
0: Thank you so much.
2: Right, do you want to um, uh, invite Michael to to speak?
0: Yes, please. Yeah.
2: Hello. May I be an agent for healing from the suffering of trauma and addiction. May my personal healing be through the intention of breaking the cycle of suffering. If only for one other being, may it be for the whole world, for all beings everywhere. May I be made wise and wise in action to cause no further suffering. May I freely share the gift of freedom I have received.
0: Well, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, can ring a bell for everyone. I wrote something also. I think I'd like to uh, offer what I wrote, okay? So I think I can feel what many are feeling. Oh, do I want to do this? I don't know. So I can relate. So here it is. Um, I vow to bring my own gifts to the needs of our times, to let go of what gets in the way, busyness, distractions, I will write, I will teach on what is important, I will help illuminate the path of the contemporary Bodhisattva. I will continue my parents' Simon and Bernice's legacy. Now is the time. I will keep this vow close and recite it four times a day. Thank you. I'll ring a bell for myself. Anyone else want to get in? I, I didn't tell you that saying your intentions publicly makes them stronger. Okay. It's a secret. Okay. Please, uh, Kathy. You have to unmute Kathy, I think.
2: The last few weeks, I've actually been doing this with the Bodhisattva Bob, wow. and uh, and uh, tying it in with the six perfections and the measurables, yeah. which is the language that I use in my practice. It might, may I embody the beauty and the blossoming of the six perfections and four measurables in my everyday life? Mm-hmm.
0: thank you sometimes we've actually uh i've done sometimes uh a whole gathering where we some meet for a day and study the bodhisattva and we have a ceremony you know in person and after each person comes up we we say collectively you know uh thank you for your vow bodhisattva please go forth <laughs> something like that So I think I will say that to all of us, whatever our expression is. So anyone else uh, further inspired, please, uh, Rich.
2: Um, May I hold space for healing, the expansion of consciousness and the growth of sustainable communities Mm. through coaching, teaching, group facilitation, emotional counseling, and my meditation practice. May this foster the peaceful and harmonious coexistence of all life, a sustainable and regenerative human presence, such that all the resources, beings, and ecosystems of the earth can be held as sacred and precious, and thereby thrive in healthy balance and vibrancy.
0: Thank you. So last call, it would be time for <clears throat> one more if anyone wanted to join and be part of this and sharing. Okay, so we'll, we'll finish with uh, the dedication of merit, which is also an intention practice. It's really what we often do at the end of a practice session where we remember that we practice very much for ourselves but also for others. And so, may the benefits of our time together be there for us, be there for all those in our own circles, but may they also be extended beyond ourselves, beyond our own circles to other beings, ultimately to all beings. May our mourning together be of benefit to all beings, knowing that we are part of all beings. And may these um, intentions both spoken and those more just spoken to ourselves. May they gain power by having been expressed in a community, a community of practitioners. And may these intentions be guides for us as we bring our good hearts and our wisdom and our skillful action to ourselves, to our families, to our communities, to our world. So thank you everyone. And thanks for being part of this. And uh, expressing our, some of our deeper intentions, and thanks to those who spoke, and, but thanks to everyone who just and may may our intentions and vows uh, bear fruit and be contributions to uh, the deep needs at our time, of, of our world, of our earth. Thank you, everyone. Okay, so till next time.
2: I'm gonna invite or uh invite if you would like to unmute and say goodbye.
0: Yeah, you can unmute everyone if you want to say goodbye or
2: thank you. Thank you, Hello, thank you. Thank thank you, you so, so much. much. Thank you so much. Good retreat.
0: Thank you for thank you for that. Yeah. i <laughs> will see you uh see everyone in March.